and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are discussing the books that we wish we could read again for the very first time. This topic came up because not too long ago, I watched the Hunger Games movies with my husband. He had never seen them or read the books. And so in preparation for watching those, I reread <laughs> the Hunger Games. And I thought to myself, oh, how fun. How fun that was to read these the first time and discover them for the very first time. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's where, where this topic came from. Do you have thoughts and feelings, Anne, about, about this topic? I feel like that's it's something that comes up a lot as readers that we say, oh, I wish... Like, I'm so jealous that you're getting to read this for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so and so it's fun to think about the books that, that I have that thought about pretty frequently. But I know that we both said, as we were doing this, that it was A, super hard to pare down to just three. Yes. <laughs> and also there are lots of books that we talk about pre- or that we bring up pretty frequently right. or it, or maybe have talked about recently. That, that came up a few times for me that I thought I just can't. It would be silly to say this is the book that I wish I could read again for the first time because everyone wishes that they could do that for certain books um, that are kind of universally felt that everyone sort of has that that same thought about certain books so it was interesting to go through or, or a little bit challenging to go through my list and say well that one's pretty obvious. I don't, I don't think I'm going to use that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. There were a few. I mean, the very first ones that popped into my mind, I thought, I can't talk about those. I've talked about those so many times over yeah. the course of the podcast. But I think we're going to give them a shout out, a quick shout out anyway, yeah. just so people kind of know. So one of mine was The Night Circus, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And it was such a magical reading experience when I read that. That was one where I wanted to keep reading because I was so absorbed by it. But at the same time, I wanted to kind of slow down to not have yeah. it end. And yeah, it was such a great reading experience. And for me, I, and you'll agree with this, the first one that came to mind was Gone Girl, where yep. everyone wants to have that feeling of getting to certain parts of Gone Girl. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it's like, I know it would be good because it's, it's such a good thriller and such a good book right. generally that it it would still be satisfying to read a second time but mm-hmm. that feeling of oh my gosh I had no idea this right. is going on and we've trained her to read differently now than we did yes yes we there were books with like what that we look for time. and so yeah yeah and so it just that that uh that sense of shock is is pretty hard to replicate so I, I envy people who haven't read it before but it would be silly to talk about it here. So right, because but you know there, I'm sure there are still people out there who who haven't read it, who missed it at the time, and yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Was, they could still have that original first experience. What's funny about Gone Girl yeah. is I'm pretty sure I read that as an advanced reader's copy, so there was no. Did you really? I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, and so there was there was at least a little bit of buzz about it, or else I don't know that I would have naturally just read it. But so yeah. I must have heard other librarians talking about it or something. But there wasn't that all-consuming discussion about yeah. the twist, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. it really took me by surprise. And actually, you're the one that got me to read it because I, I was in grad school when, like in my last semester of grad school when it came out. So I just wasn't reading a lot. And so mm-hmm. it, during our interview, Hallie interviewed me for uh, our job at Beaufort County and, uh, or for my job. And I I think you, we were talking about what we've been reading lately and just as filler or something right. and you said have you read Gone Girl and I said oh no and you said oh you need to read Gone Girl and so 
I pushed it up the, oh, the list. That's so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no memory of that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I remember interviewing you, but I don't remember that piece of yeah. conversation. Oh, that's yeah. really fun. Uh, here's a question for you. Have you ever, as you are reading a book, known that that's how you were going to feel about it? Like, this is a book I'm going to wish I could be reading again for the first time because you know as you are reading it that it's something special? Yes, for sure. But I'm trying to think right now of what, like, which books would fall into that. I know I've felt it in the last little bit of, of committee reading that I've, mm-hmm. I, I, as I was, definitely as I was reading uh, Sorrow and Bliss, I felt that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. of knowing this is, this is just perfection and I'm so in love with it as I'm going through it for the first time that, that this is this is going to stick out to me forever. I feel it a, a lot with, it's it's very common to feel that way, I think, with thrillers, because you know that you're not going to have that, or, or mysteries, because mm-hmm. you won't have the same aha moment. Mm-hmm. But there's still so many mysteries that are not great, or thrillers that are not great, that I don't get that feeling. But I know when I read In the Woods, which is another that mm. we, we bring up ton of French just generally as mm-hmm as it being too common that we talk about her to justify a section on this. But, but that was one where I thought this is, I had that same sensation of, I want to race through this and pull back because it's, I'm enjoying this so much. And, and this is, I'm never going to get this again Mm -hmm. in quite the same way. So definitely it's, it's like a meta feeling that's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a little bit of a, of a reader's high, I guess. I actually just last week read a book that I knew as soon as Ooh. I started it that I thought this is a book that I love right from the get-go. And mm-hmm. I don't know that it would be one that I would say, oh, gosh, I wish I could read that again for the first time because of any sort of surprise to it. It was more just, this is such a good story. This yeah. is such a good book. Uh, and it was Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Oh, which, nice. Yeah. Spoiler alert, I think will be a favorite of the year for me because... I just adored it. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, this is a special book. This is Mm -hmm. a book that is going to stand out for me, which sometimes books that I read, I need to sit with a little bit for them to be like, I can love them in the moment, but Mm -hmm. I need the the comparison or sort of, I need to let them sit and see if they stick with me for, Mm -hmm. for the long haul versus loving something in the moment and then six months later thinking, wait, what was that about again? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah, other yeah. books I, I kind of know right off the bat that it's going to be a favorite. And that's how that Ann Patchett book was. I just thought, uh, this is amazing and I love it. And it's worth all the praise that it's getting for sure. Good, 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 good. I'm excited for that one too. The other the other one I wanted to mention, which didn't feel like it um, needed to be called out as a as one of my three, but the Harry Potter series, I think, is one that probably a lot of people would wish they could have that experience again for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we're going to leave aside any mention of the author mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point, but just that sort of cultural moment about everybody was reading it. Everybody was so excited when the next books were coming out. You wanted to live in that world for mm-hmm. that time as you were reading and now it's it's so permeated in our culture I feel like you don't have you don't have to have read them to kind of know what Harry right. Potter is all right. about but at the time it felt really like something exceptional I think uh, especially starting at about book four or five ish I think at this point reading them for the first time could still feel very magical but I don't know that you could capture that particular time in place of mm-hmm. how it felt to read them then 
that, that was the other one I wanted to, I feel like it's kind of an obvious one, but yeah, for sure. But definitely another one where I wish I could, I sort of wish I could place myself back in time mm-hmm. uh, for when those were coming out. Because at the time, social media wasn't really a thing yet. I mean, right. Facebook existed at, at, towards the end of when those were coming out, but it wasn't what it is now for sure. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't know. It just, there was just something about reading those and knowing other people were reading them and, but not really getting people's other than outside of your personal circle. You didn't really know how the world was reacting. You know, you got Mm -hmm. to read it kind of on your own and make your form your own reactions to it. I don't know if that sounds strange, but now I feel like those (laughs) books, you would get, those books would be released at midnight and by 6am you'd have all these TikTok videos about people right. talking about it. And, right. And, yeah. and at the time, that just wasn't happening. And so, there, like again, a more just, organic right. uh, word of mouth than right. what we get now. Yeah. I'm actually going to talk about that with one of my books. I think it's, I'm, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss that discovery mm-hmm. aspect. All right. Well, um, why don't we go ahead and you can share your first one? Okay. Um, the first book I'll talk about is The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton. And I love this book so yeah, much. Yeah, I knew, I knew you'd co-sign on this. And this is actually the very first book that came to mind when when uh, we were deciding we were going to do this topic. And so I had to lead with it. But I also know Hallie would agree with this this um, this pick. So I this is a, a little bit of a duel. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would have I would have grabbed it if you hadn't. Yeah. Um, so it starts out, it's a, a time slip novel where there's there's two timelines. And so it's, uh, or three actually timelines. Um, so it starts in 1961 and um, a girl, a 16-year-old girl named Laurel Nicholson is trying to avoid her younger sisters by hiding in a tree house in the English countryside where her, her family lives on a farm. And she uh, is looking out and, and sort of just, just daydreaming and she sees a man uh, walk up to the the property and um, goes up to her mother who's standing in the front yard and they talk for a, a second and then her mother suddenly stabs and kills him and this is pretty shocking like, <laughs> in, in any way you look at it so then the story jumps to 2011 where Laurel has become a world famous actress and she is going back to the family farm to celebrate her mother's 90th birthday and she starts to think about all of the unanswered questions of what exactly happened that day in 1961. And so she starts to follow the very small clues that she has about her mother's past, which are, are really just an inscribed book and a photograph. And she realizes that she doesn't actually know all that much about her mother. And she and she's trying to put together some sort of portrait of, of who, who she was before she became a mother. So I don't want to go into into too much on this but because so much of it is is the finding out what happens but Mm -hmm. there's also a section in 1941 where where we we see laurel's mother dorothy as a young woman and the high-spirited person that she was in world war ii era london and we get the actual terror of living during the blitz and the the optimism and excitement for the future that dorothy has as a young person because that's that's how younger people see the world as even as as the world is literally falling around them that there's a sense of the future so mm-hmm. kate morton morton does uh just an incredible job of tying all these together and making these characters feel distinct and and the, the setting is so vibrant and you know each section feels distinct in its its historical details but they all blend into one 
cohesive whole. So there's just so much more to this plot that I'm not not saying because it's the enjoyment is how things play out. But mm-hmm. there's a point in the book where I realized that I had completely underestimated Kate Morton's ability mm-hmm. to lay this groundwork for for things that are going to happen completely without me noticing that they're that she's doing this and it just absolutely blew my mind and I actually remember exactly where I was when I hit that moment and so that's what made this book stand out to me so much as something I wish I could read again for the first time because I don't think that there are a lot of books where I can say I know I can picture exactly what was going on around me Mm -hmm. when I came to a certain passage of a book that's that's pretty uncommon for me so it's and it's also just it's such a quality book. She's oh, such a so good, good writer, and yeah. this could have been just very pleasant and still emotionally stirring, but kind mm-hmm. of trite. There, right. There's a whole lot of World War II fiction out there. I've talked about it before of how much I generally dislike World War II fiction, um, but uh, when you read this, you're in such skilled hands and. Mm-hmm. Kate Morton just weaves together everything and makes it into such a satisfying reading experience. So I'm actually reading her new book, Homecoming, right now. And so, so I'm good. I'm sort of getting these same feelings of, yes. oh, I don't want to, I, I want to pull back. I, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. am going through this too quickly. And it's just, it's incredible. She's, she's incredible. So that is The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton. The way Homecoming comes together at the end is masterful. I'm so excited. In a very similar way to The Secret Keeper, where just is stunning. Where you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, 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 that was all there. (laughs) And I didn't see it. And there's definitely some parallels of, like, it's a a younger generation looking back at, at a woman where there's some sort of, the setting kind of, I mean, it's, it's two different countries where these two books are taking place, mm-hmm. but, but something about the, they both start out with something happening right in the front yard, essentially. Right. And right. so, um, and so I keep thinking this feels so much like the secret keeper, but not mm-hmm. in a derivative way. Not, no. not where I think, yeah. oh, she's, she doesn't, she's run out of ideas. It's just, it's bringing back all the good feelings. It's really good. It, I have this grand plan <laughs> that. I don't know when it will happen. There are certain authors, and I think you were doing this for a while before you joined the committee, so I think it kind of dropped off once you joined the committee, but there are some authors where I want to go back and reread everything that right. they've written. Even, right. you know, just go back and read their whole catalog. And Kate exactly, Morton. So yeah. Kate Morton is one of them for me. I just, I just keep it, I keep thinking it that I think I would get a lot of enjoyment out of rereading them. Yeah. And some of them I read many, many years ago, so I'm guessing I would still it would feel fresh and new, even though I've, I would remember the overall story. There'd be a lot of details I have forgotten. And so that, yeah, the, and The Secret Keeper is my favorite of hers. So hearing yeah. you talk about it makes me just want to pick up yeah. the, the first one and, and start reading them all. Yeah, well, and that project was specifically because there are many authors that I consider favorite authors where I, I still have never actually read their full output. Mm-hmm. And and she was one I thought about because there are a couple that I have not read mm. of hers. And so so I had four that first year, which was too many. Yeah. Um, and then did, uh, I think actually it was the pandemic that made me drop oh, off at okay. first and then the, the committee. Yeah. But um, but she's definitely one I would want to do that with too because she's, she's great. Love her. Yep. Okay, my first one is A Fine Balance by Roe Hinton Mystery. And I think I've talked about this before uh, because 
this had a big impact on me when I read it, so I'm pretty sure mm. I would have discussed it on the podcast before. But I feel I like you did, but I can't I remember. It's been a while. The yeah. Context. So yeah. this is one of the first books that I recall having read after I graduated from college, where I was just floored at how amazing it was. Where I had gotten away from reading literary fiction, probably during college because I was an English minor, so I was reading a lot of classics. And then, in, if I was reading for fun, I was reading a lot of chiclet romance those sorts of things I wasn't Mm -hmm. I wasn't tending to go towards literary fiction at the time so then I had graduated and was still sort of in that light fluffy frame of mind at the time this was late not very late 90s early 2000s (laughs) I would go to Barnes and Noble or Borders and kind of wander around the shelves and just whatever struck my fancy I would pick up and buy and that's what I was referring to earlier about how I kind of miss that feeling of, of we know so much about books now because of things like Goodreads and Instagram and you know we're just hearing about books all over the place plus I like paying attention to books but I've I've lost that ability to just walk into a bookstore and pick up a book that I've Mm -hmm. not heard of before really anyway so at the time if I was buying a book because I didn't was not making very much money right out of college I would try to go for kind of the thickest book that I could that's what I just was thinking you had to have picked this because it's giant. It's a very long <laughs> and you need book. To, to get the most bang for your buck. Right, exactly, exactly. So I knew nothing about it. It did have an Oprah's Book Club sticker, I think, on mm. the front. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that was a seal of approval. I, re- I mean, still to this day, I appreciate Oprah's recommendations. And at, mm-hmm. But at the time, that was basically one of the, the main ways of, other than award winners, that was a seal of approval that felt like, oh, this is worth reading. Mm-hmm. It also has a pretty, pretty striking cover. Too, it does. I it does so. have a very striking cover. Yes. Yeah. So I picked it up not knowing anything about it really beyond that. And so I was so taken by the book. Like I was just, I found it once I started reading sort of like Anne and I were just talking before we started about a thriller that, that we've both read where all we wanted to do was get back to reading it. And that's sort of how I felt at the time. All I wanted to be doing was reading this book. So it takes place in India during the 1970s. And it's about these four people who basically never would have come in contact with each other except for the fact that there is a woman who is a seamstress and she is renting out three rooms in her house. There's a uncle and nephew pair that rent two of the rooms in the house and they are tailors and they work for her. And then a college student who needs a place to stay. So he rents the other room in, in the house. And they come together at a time of a lot of upheaval and disruption politically in India. And so their lives end up more intertwined than they expect them to be when they first make this arrangement. And they're all really, really different, but they develop this unexpected friendship and support network among each other. And it's just such a beautiful, moving story. It it taught me a lot about India's history, which is not something I was ever taught in school. So Mm -hmm. this was probably the first time I learned about really any of the 1970s um, history of India. It just was one of those books that I felt like I, I cared about the characters so very much. And I was so emotionally absorbed in the book. And I I wish I could go back and have that experience again. I mean, I think if I went back and read it, it's probably been more than 20 years since I've read this book. 
I'm, I'm sure I would still really, really, really love this book. But there was just something about reading it and it being such an unexpected surprise of how much mm-hmm. I loved it um, that has stuck with me all this time of, of that reading experience. So that is A Fine Balance by Roe Hinton Mystery. I think that that plays in a lot to the books, like as I was going through possible um, mm-hmm. choices for this this topic, which incidentally I wrote down and in my notes, we need to plan on doing a part two for yes, this at yes. some point. The, so many of them were things where I hadn't expected to, not, not to dislike, but that it was a surprise to me. And, right. and I don't know if someone else reading the book would have the same experience that I had on, on some of these because they didn't have that sense of surprise or, right. or were looking for something different. But I think that really does play in quite a bit to that aha moment that's that that is so pleasurable yeah I agree a hundred percent I think sometimes that the reasons books become our favorites or among the best books is because they're outside of what we usually read or they're Mm -hmm. outside of our expectations of what we would like and so yeah I think that that's you hit the nail on the head I think that these aren't necessarily although like the secret keeper and then my last one I think are books that reading for the first time because there's a surprise element to it Mm -hmm. that there you know that's why you would want to read it again for the first time but in many cases it's about the experience and where you were in your life and Mm -hmm. how that impacted you at the time so yeah I I 100% agree I it would be fun if we did a part two of this to do we go back and reread the books that we wish we could read for the first time and talk about it yeah yeah oh so many fun things to do with books (laughs) Okay, so number, my second book, I kind of didn't know if it was fair because I have talked about this one a fair amount, <laughs> but I also, okay, so it's Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully, and the reason I, I picked this one was that I realized that I've mentioned it several times, but, and I mentioned it in our favorite books of 2021 episode and did like a little brief synopsis, but I've never actually talked about it. And then we were going to do the book club thing, and then... I don't remember what happened. Some catastrophe happened in one of our lives. Was it that time? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so there's something like this is this is on everyone's radar because of our discussing just discussing of it but it's not something that we've actually really gone into so I'm claiming that it's fair game and I hope that's actually true. So (laughs) um so this book is technically YA and if it's something, if that is something that has held you back from reading it, if you're not a YA fan, then don't let it because it has tons and tons of crossover appeal. Um, it's doing a lot within the book. And so it's just, it's not something that I think leans too heavily into YA tropes. And so I think it's it's something that anyone would enjoy. So the main character is Donna's Fontaine and she's a recent high school graduate. And that's kind of a, an intense time of life, I think, for anyone, but probably more so for her because she is always living very much in two worlds. Um, she is biracial and she is an unenrolled unro- member of the um, of an Ojibwe tribe in Michigan and is uh, very much involved with that community. But she actually lives in a nearby town and has a very proper white grandmother. And so she has... Uh, quite different familial expectations in these two parts of her life. Her parents' relationship was also a local scandal, and so she is outside of the community in ways that other friends of hers who are biracial are. There's another. They're they're also you know in two worlds, but they there's this added layer of 
the fact that her that everyone knows how how her parents came together so uh so she wants to go to college to i think study science is my memory uh, but she needs to say stay local uh, in the end because she has to be in the area to support her emotionally fragile mother so she played on the high school hockey team while she was in high school in, in high school and she still is very close to all the players and she agrees to be an ambassador to the team and she through that meets a new guy that is this this very cute new guy named Jamie and they have an instant connection and so one night they are um, I think at a party I, and I apologize I had other notes written that I'm realizing now have disappeared and so I'm having to scramble a little bit but um, they're at a party and uh, her best friend Lily is murdered by her drug addicted boyfriend and Donis realizes in that experience that in the aftermath of this that the new guy that she's been flirting with is actually an undercover FBI agent who is in the area to investigate drug related deaths within the tribe and um, he's very young. He's it's not like a creepy old guy that's that's pretending to be a high schooler, um, but he he's there to find out how drugs have been spread throughout the community so so perfectly. So she is asked to go undercover to help with that investigation because of her connections and and sort of the, the two worlds that she lives in sort of give her extra access to to things that other people might not have access to. So uh, she also is very investigated in clearing the name of her uh, uncle, who was the high school science teacher, and he uh, died in a drug overdose. And she is she knows that he couldn't have been addicted to drugs and so she she agrees to to be part of this investigation because of her drive to clear his name and also to get um, justice for her best friend so this is just there's so many layers to this and it's such a great mystery but it's also about identity and belonging and i'm not at all qualified to talk about the ways that uh, neglect from governments have created a, a systemic culture of substance abuse that indigenous communities are dealing with but but that's something we all need to be aware of and the way that this brings in a really um, driving plot plus a lot of things that that are YA plus really serious and and timely concepts and and social issues (laughs) the way that it does it, it just has all of these these elements that that are in in a, a lesser author would be too much and it writes off a lot but it, it really does justice to all of them while being still just incredible page turner so um i just loved this i have not stopped gushing about it since it came out and it it did end up winning the prince and i was just over the moon that day it was like the greatest it was like christmas to me when <laughs> when it won so that is firekeeper's daughter by angeline booley have you read the follow-up? No, but I'm... ten years later or something? I haven't read it, but I have... I'm, I'm going to read it this month because my uh, book club is reading it. So oh, fun. I'm pretty stoked for it. Yeah, and she, I've heard it's really good. I've heard yeah, it. me too. And I went to Yalfest oh, yeah. last year. I, that sounds right. And she was the keynote speaker. And I thought, I couldn't love this book anymore. And I could because the way she talks about the book and the choices that she made and the ways that she had to push back against um, the way the things that publishers, uh, the, the concessions that 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 or I shouldn't say that that her publisher was trying to make her change the book. I think this was when she was shopping the book that that they said things like, oh, so like the thing comes to mind specifically is that they said there's you have these things set up in fours, but threes are the ways that we we do 
sort of um, like structure. And she said, well, all of this is based on Ojibwe mythology and mm-hmm. we do it in fours. And so these things that were like, oh, I would never have known that if I hadn't heard her go mm-hmm. give this, this speech uh, was just completely fascinating. So she's the greatest. I love that book. Okay, my next one is The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne. And this is one of my favorite books of all time. And I'm guessing if I reread it, I would really still enjoy it, still appreciate it. But there's just something about reading it for the first time, seeing how the story unfolds. And sort of what we were talking about earlier, I knew as I was reading it that it was an amazing book that I was going to think of as a favorite of all time. So there was something about that experience of experience of reading it and knowing this this book was fantastic. I can't recall if I've actually talked about this on the podcast before, but it's about Cyril Avery, who is born to a woman who is not married in 1945. And the story actually starts before he is born. And we see this woman, uh, his mother, as she tries to figure out, as she discovers she's pregnant and tries to figure out what to do about the situation. And then... So that's the first section of the book. And then it jumps to seven years later. And Cyril has been adopted, and we see him as a young boy in his adopted home with his parents, who are pretty eccentric, kind of inattentive to his to him as a, as a human being. And it was, it's sort of, what do they call that? It's something neglect, where it's like like harmless neglect. What's it called? I don't, I don't know if this is right, but like passive neglect? Of... No, yeah, that's not, but there's yeah. there's some sort of phrase that I can't put my finger on. But anyway, so it's just like he has food, he has shelter, but he doesn't have an emotional right safety net with these people. And then what happens is, so we get this peek into his life at seven years old. And then the next time we see him is when he is 14. And then the next time we see him is when he's 21. So the book skips every seven years and gives you the snapshot into his life as he grows up and becomes an adult. And he, I'm trying to think if this is a spoiler, so I think it's okay to say. He is gay, but it, you, that is not something you want to have known in Ireland at this time, in this time period in the 1960s, 70s. And so much of the story is about him facing that and how he handles that as, as he becomes an adult and the choices he makes in life to try to live a happy life, but in a country that being gay is not accepted. And then it moves, he moves to Amsterdam for a while, he moves to New York for a while, and so you just see him in these little moments, in these pockets of time, and you see these different people come into and out of his life and then back into his life, and it's just this really beautiful, moving, funny, heartbreaking novel about this man's life and it encompasses all this time so you see the world changing and you see him changing it's truly such an amazing book I just loved it so so much and it's The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne that was one when it came out I felt was everywhere on bookish media and so and and I hadn't put together that he was am i am i misremembering the boy in the, sp- in right, the striped pajamas same guy. Yep. um and so and so it was like oh this is this new author and then realized, oh, yeah. no he's totally established and pretty yeah. famous but the way people talked about it was so much like a discovery i remember and and usually you don't see that in book with authors that you've with books from authors where they've they've already had a big hit and so mm. um so yeah i've i 
I have, haven't read this yet, but I've I've just heard nothing but great things. Yeah, I think a part of it was, I mean, I did not read The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. So people, and he had adult novels, but for this really broke him out as an adult novelist, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that he just, as much as there are huge fans of this book, I still think that there are plenty of people who haven't read it. I think it would make a great book club book if you are looking for something for your book club to read. I think, especially in the fall, it's a little bit longer. It'd be something to kind of sit with in the crisper temperatures and just mm-hmm. get just sink into a book, I think. I think it would make a great pick for that. But yeah, it's just, it's such a good story. I've talked about so many times. I love these stories that are like sagas. You know, you see, it's mm-hmm. this big span of time. You see the effect of decisions that last through decades and it's not just in the moment and that's that's exactly what this this one is nice okay tell me your last one um so last i am going to talk about passing by nella larson and i know i've talked about this book before but um it's been a while so i'm i'm bringing it back and she was part of the harlem renaissance and i'm just completely fascinated by her as a person too because she had a biracial father and a danish mother and and there's few things I love more than Denmark. And so I, uh, she sort of sticks out to me in uh, among many authors, but especially Harlem Renaissance authors. And so she lived both in, U- in the U.S. and in Denmark, and she was a librarian. And she basically abandoned writing, abandoned writing after publishing two novels and, and sort of fell into obscurity. And then there's been this renewed interest in her work in like the last 20-ish plus years and that is just great because she is a fantastic writer and and I really really like what she does so the main character the first character you meet is a woman named Irene Redfield and she is a black woman who lives in Harlem with her physician husband and they're well-to-do and she sort of lives as a, a socialite in Harlem so she does a lot of charity work and she does she's she's just very uh has a, a strong social presence there so one one thing about her though is that she's light-skinned and she could pass for white so she is in chicago when the book starts on a short trip and she runs into her childhood friend claire and they have i think tea or lunch together and while they're talking she finds out that claire is married to a white man and and is passing and the husband has no idea that she's black and so at toward the end of the their time together the husband actually meets up with them or or walks in and he meets Irene and he also doesn't realize that she's black. And so he makes racist comments in front of them, but they don't say anything in response to it. So Irene is, is completely shocked that Claire, that Claire lives this way and that Claire seems to find it sort of exciting and scandalous. And she, she just has a very different outlook to the world than Irene does. And this makes Irene really uncomfortable. And she decides that she wants to break contact with Claire so she goes back to um, to New York and Claire starts to send letters to her there. And Claire is clearly beginning to, to be intrigued by the life that she left behind and she wants to come back to New York. And so one day she just shows up unannounced and she starts to infiltrate into Irene's life. And so she ends up going to the charity balls that Irene is throwing and she meets Irene's husband and Irene feels very uneasy about all of this and um, starts to question her husband's relationship with Claire and sees that her husband is becoming very attached to her. And so she is there. There's a this is a very almost psychological novel. She you you see the ways that that she's 
thinking like like as her her thought patterns are changing and she's becoming more I, I want to use the word paranoid but that's not a fair word because it makes it seem as though she's she's out of line for feeling this way but but there's there's this sense of of claustrophobia that starts mm-hmm. to happen and so this tension just increases and, and, and increases until you get to one of the the weirdest when endings ever it's it's such a strange ending and i love it so much and so that's the reason that i wish i could read this again for the first time because experiencing that ending was so um just just like a sit back and and put the book down for a second just and like think reveling. wait yeah yeah and and i don't want to say too much about it um just because spoilers would anything i say would would ruin that experience so um this is written when there was a lot of concern in white society about what it meant for people to, to cross racial lines and um that there was a, a big push for keeping racial purity in the 1920s and this concept of uh, white people being tricked into allowing people to cross those those racial lines was was a big uh, concern at the time. So there's also a huge focus on class class and this uh, worry that blacks would attain a higher class position through passing. So there's just a lot going on with it, and it's a a pretty short novel, but it has so many layers to peel back and examine. And I I know that that's something that I've always really loved um in college i felt that way of, of feeling my brain spark when i was reading a really nuanced book with a lot of ambiguity and gray areas and thinking of all the things that uh, this could mean and that there are so many ways to look at it that that was for me the, the great satisfying reading experiences mm-hmm. in college and I, I read this well after college but i got that same sense when i was reading this uh, for the first time and so that is just uh, really really uh, fit into that that pleasurable experience for me so that is passing by nella larson i still haven't read that i need to read you it. should i know i need to read it all right my, my last one is atonement by ian McEwan. yes and this book blew my mind when i read it i cannot say too much about why because i think it would ruin it if you haven't read this book right or seen the movie uh but it is yeah it's at the end it's just like I like you had to just sit there I had to just sit mm-hmm. there and think wait what just happened mm-hmm. <laughs> what what did I just learn uh, so it's set in 1935 in England and it starts on a very very hot summer day where 13 year old Bryony is bored and she decides to spy on her sister and Robbie Turner her older sister and Robbie Turner who is the son of one of the women who works they live in a big fancy country house in England and so somebody who works in the house it's it's her son and so she sees her older sister Celia and Robbie and they're they're flirting and they're I think they do more than flirt mm-hmm. and Bryony sees this and Bryony has a, likes to write stories and she has a pretty wild imagination so she sees this and kind of takes it in and then later that day intercepts a letter from Robbie that is meant for Celia and reads it and misinterprets what the intention of the, the note is. I'm trying to be very vague. I hope, you can, You're right. I hope, <laughs> I hope I'm still getting the point across. So then that night, it, so there's, her, uh, there's lots of family staying at the house right now. Her cousins are there and, and other people. And that night, her cousin is assaulted by somebody. And Bryony immediately says that it was Robbie. And she accuses Robbie of assaulting her cousin uh, and 
and claims that she saw it and knows that he did this. And so then he is sent to prison for this assault and then eventually from prison sent into World War II as a soldier. And then the next two sections are take place years later as Bryony first as a nurse in World War II and then after that as she has become a writer. And you see her as an adult trying to atone for what she realizes was this childhood misconception of what she was seeing, that what she was seeing between her sister and Robbie wasn't aggressive, it was welcomed between this dalliance that they had and that she was wrong in in saying that Robbie was the one who assaulted her her cousin. The book has so many merits going for it. It's beautifully written. Mm-hmm. It's thought-provoking. I mean, just on its just as a story, it is it's a very compelling book to read. But then there you get to the end and you learn information that sort of changes your perspective of, of what you have read up until then. So I think actually rereading it would be really interesting because you have that knowledge of everything that comes after that initial section. Um, you have the information that then you could sort of see how things play out. But there's something about reading it for, first t- for the first time because you don't know what's coming that really is pretty shocking. Yet you don't get that back. Once you have read it and you know what happens, Mm -hmm. uh, you don't get that back. Uh, So that is Atonement by Ian McEwan. This is one that I definitely thought about and at first said, oh, of course, Atonement, but then thought, oh, that's same time period as The Secret Keepers, and so it doesn't seem uh, smart to do (laughs) two two books of my own in the same time period, but 100% co-sign on this. This is... And, and I would say even the the ending, I like the ending is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And we were talking or messaging a little bit last night. And the way that I read the ending, I realized was quite different than what most other people read in the yeah. ending. And so, um, and so there's that aspect for me that was like, oh, and I could go back and reread the same thing and get a different a different reading is is like a great feeling at the end of a book where you you realize how much a, a different reading experience yeah. can can form your your reading of, mm-hmm. of something. But I think even before I got to the ending, I remember this being a book that I neglected other things that mm-hmm. I need to get oh, done. Oh, it's very for the sake compelling. Yes. Yeah. It's so compelling, and and I had no idea that there was going to be something that it's it's hard to talk about it without saying too much, but that there would be a shock at the mm-hmm, end, mm-hmm. and and so there was no it wasn't like reading Gone Girl where you know there's a this is a thriller there's going to be some some shocking things are going to happen. I just thought it was like the greatest historical fiction book I had ever mm-hmm. read, and so mm-hmm. it's it's just incredible. It is so good. I read this 20 years ago, probably. I, if mm-hmm. I go back, if I went back and looked at my book, book journal from then, I could pinpoint it exactly, but my guess is it was mid-2000, like 2005-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly when it came out, but I read it a long time ago, and as I was writing up my notes yesterday, I thought, I want to reread this book mm-hmm. because I have very vague recollections of, anything about it really I did see the movie so that helps to cement some of the details in Mm -hmm. my mind but yeah I definitely want to reread it because I I was the same way as I was reading it I loved reading it even before I got to the ending Mm -hmm. and it's not just in retrospect after learning the ending that I thought oh that was an amazing book I loved it as I was reading it Mm -hmm. and actually as I was writing up my notes I saw he won the Booker Prize for Amsterdam which I don't Mm -hmm. think I've ever read and I thought I've read that one have you yeah, I didn't like it as much, and so okay. I, I, and it's good. It's just 
I, I didn't think the ending worked yeah. on it, but yeah. but yeah. Okay, so that's it for the books we wish we could read again for the first time, although not really because we both had probably like 20 other books that yeah. we wanted to talk about. <laughs> uh, and we will be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I just barely started reading The Last Russian Doll by oh. Kristen uh, Lush. I'm not sure if that's... It's L-O-E-S-C-H. This is one you know about? I've heard... I've, I have an arc of it, actually, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. So it's a debut novel, and it's about a woman um, named Rosie who is a graduate student at Oxford, and she has a loving fiancé, and she is doing great work, and she's excited about the future, but 10 years ago, she, ooh, I should also say this, this is, uh, it starts out in 1991. So that would change the, the time span on how this could work. But <laughs> 10 years prior, she had been a young girl with a different name who was living happily in Moscow. And she has a sister and a father and her mother is uh, an eccentric woman who likes to tell fairy tales and she collects porcelain dolls. And so one night everything changes and um, something terrible happens and she only she and her mother are the remaining family and so I'm not sure what how how that what that means exactly mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that's it's just her and her mom and so they defect to to the UK and uh, and so then she's you know continue continues on with her life but her mom sort of and I haven't hit this hit this yet so I'm not sure exactly how this happens but she she is struggling with alcoholism and is just sort of the shell of a woman and so at the at the time that the book starts uh her mom is has just died and she realizes that she has a lot of questions of what what happened in the past and her mom shows her this doll that has that she's taken apart and has a key inside of it and so she's so rosie is is doesn't know if the things that her mom her mom is sort of speaking a little bit of gibberish and she doesn't know what to believe as far as this this doll goes and how it plays into her past and, and sort of why all of this is coming up at, at this time so she decides she has an opportunity through I think visiting professor or lecturer at Oxford to go back to to Russia and I, I actually don't know if it's before communism falls or or after that that the stuff I read doesn't didn't indicate that to me so so she she's going to go back and she's going to learn more about her past and so she she knows or, or the the back of the book has told me that she knows that it has something to do with her mother's the fairy tales that her mother told and that there's a family history that is going to uh, include the Russian Revolution in 1917 and Stalin and uh, all the things that have made life very difficult for her family so there's uh, going to be a noble woman. I don't know how that will play into it. I'm excited for that too. And porcelain dolls. And I'm kind of afraid of dolls a little bit. And so I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. It could be kind that. of creepy. Right? And so I don't know what these dolls look like. And I'm hoping, I, I don't think that's the tone of this book. So I think mm -hmm. it's probably going to be okay. But that was something that I thought about as I started <laughs> it. But but I, I love, so I'm very frustrated with the Russian government right now. And I'm as I started to read this, I thought do this is this is going to bring up some frustrating feelings for me but i really have through my whole life i've been very very interested in russian history i was very uh intrigued by the the romanovs as a kid and mm -hmm. and i feel like for as dramatic and um famous as russian 
history is. We don't get a ton of Russian set or, or certainly Soviet set uh, historical fiction. And, and maybe I'm just reading the wrong things, but it seems like there's just so much to work with there that, that uh, we could have a billion books about this time period. And, and I haven't read a lot of them. So, so I'm really excited for that aspect of it. But I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm probably, I'm listening to this and I may be at, I'm being generous if I say 30 minutes into it. So I have nothing to go on, but, but it, so far I'm really liking it. And that lasts a little bit. And so that is The Last Russian Doll by Kristen Lesh. What I am reading, I'm actually going to talk about as a series because oh, I just okay. finished the second book, but I think it's not going to be very helpful to talk about the second book. So I'm going to talk about the first book and then kind of the series. So it's an Ember in the Ashes series by Saba Tahir. And I mentioned this that we uh, were watching the Hunger Games a few weeks ago. And so it made me do a deep dive. I reread two out of the three Hunger Games books at that time because I really loved those books when they came out. So I decided to reread them before we were watching the movies. And I just ran out of time to to read the other one, quite frankly, or I would have read that one too. Um, but it, it brought to mind that there's a lot of really good YA out there. And I think I've mentioned this recently that I would kind of like to get back to that. I really got far away from reading why I used to read a lot of it and then just sort of dropped off my radar as I, especially as I was doing committee reading, which is much more Mm -hmm. focused on adult books. And then I read a lot of romance, which I think talked about this too I think that sort of took the place in my reading life of YA Mm -hmm. like the you know something I could get into quickly and read through quickly anyway so I went on this deep dive after reading and watching the Hunger Games of well what other teen books or series have been released in the last few years where I didn't know about them or I heard about them but sort of they didn't fit into my reading life at the time maybe I should pick some up so this is one of them that kept coming up to the very tip top of a lot of lists and I read All My Rage by this author uh, last year the year before Mm -hmm. and thought it was incredible so I thought oh well this is where I'll start because I know this is an author that I really like so the first one is called An Ember in the Ashes it is a four book series I have read two of them so far it's set in a fantasy world that's based on ancient Rome there are kind of two sets of people there are the marshals who are in charge and they are a very militaristic group of people. And there's an emperor, and they rule by, like, they rule with an iron fist. There's a very elite group of soldiers called masks that literally have silver masks that become adhered to their faces the longer that they wear them. And they're just very violent, or, you know, they, they're very, um, like, hardline rulers. Like, you, you have to stay in line, or they're going to punish you, basically. And then there, and so that is one of the main characters is Elias. And he is part of this martial group. And he is at this academy that trains soldiers. If you can survive, I mean, that's how difficult it is. Like a lot of people don't even survive the training. Then you get to have this future as one of these elite masks figures. So he is planning to run away, actually, after graduation. He's about he's approaching his graduation, and he's thinking once he graduates, he has all his stuff tucked away, and he's going to run away. And he, this is not something that would be accepted if he were caught. So he has to have a really elaborate plan to get away and not get caught. But right before he is going to do this, there is an announcement that they are going to have this trial like this set of trials for he and three of his other other students that are about to graduate 
and whoever comes out alive basically is going to Whoa. be the, who is going to be the new emperor. So he can't really run away because now yeah. he has to participate in these trials. The other group of people are the scholars and they are the oppressed group of people. And so they are people who don't have a lot of money. They're, you know, they have to scrape to make ends meet. They're not allowed to read, which is kind of funny because they're called scholars, but mm-hmm. um, they're not allowed to read. They're not allowed to like have any position of power. And so Laia, the other main character, is part of the scholar group. And her parents were part of a resistance group to, that were trying to fight the marshals. And they ended up being killed for it. And so she lives with her grandparents and her brother. And right as the, mo- right as the book opens, her grandparents are killed and her brother is kidnapped by the marshals. So she, through a little scenario, <laughs> like reaches out to the resistance And they say they're going to put her as a spy at the military academy to learn information that will help the resistance. And if she does that, they'll help her get her brother out of of where he's being kept. So she takes this on to become a spy and becomes the spy who, or becomes the uh, slave for the like commandant of the military academy, like the head person of the military academy, who is also Elias's mother. And she is a very cruel, cruel woman. Like she's awful. So Laia not only has to spy, she also has to survive being considered a slave in this institution. So that's the setup for it. And so then that's the first book. So you have the trials and then her as a spy. And then the story goes on from there. It's very compelling. It's action-packed. Lots of romance lots uh well at the beginning it's just like a hint of romance but there you know that it's coming (laughs) that there's going to be romance um lots of a little bit of mystery there's some magic to it there's lots of danger and you know it's a very kind of uh, edge of your seat kind of a read so that is the ember and the ashes series by saba tahir so i've read the first two i took a little bit of a break after reading the second one because they're they're pretty dark <laughs> they're pretty mm-hmm. dark books um but they are for teens so they're not too graphic or gory or anything like that but they they're pretty dark so i took a break to read some other things that i needed to read and then i'll go back and and finish the series because it, it i'm very curious to see where it goes it's very interesting lots of double crossing lots of secrets being kept uh, which i like those kinds of stories where yeah. you read and you know that you're not quite sure who is who you can trust and stuff like that Okay, let's go back and read off all the books we talked about today. Okay, this week I talked about The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton, Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully, Passing by Nella Larson, and what I'm reading this week is The Last Russian Doll by Kristen Lush. And I talked about A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery, The Heart's Invisible Theories by John Boyne, Atonement by Ian McEwen, and what I was reading this week is An Ember in the Ashes series by Saba Tahir. So if you'd like to reach out to us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss or tell us about the books that you wish you could read again for the first time, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on wherever you find your podcast. It really helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.